Good morning. Oh, yeah. I was just testing you. What a great afternoon to be together, and we praise the Lord for each of you here. Thank you for those that are visiting with us and those who have been praying about this Sunday and every Sunday, in fact. In a moment, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of, of Romans, considering the topic, We Are a People of Faith. Before I go there, though, I want to take you to a news flash. Now, some of you keep Fox News on 24-7, so this will not be any trouble for you. But the rest of us who maybe don't even watch the news, but whenever there comes a, an important story, we give attention. So maybe you'll give attention to this, and apologies to Jeremy, because it does include discussion about a firefighter, and he'll be sitting there thinking, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But nonetheless... Think with me about that newsflash that comes out. And the story starts with saying a three-alarm fire was declared. And it was with a high-rise we all know about in the corner of such and such streets. And the flames could be seen all over that side of the city. And so as the story unfolds then... We hear about all of these different units and EMS and, and uh, special division of people, including uh, the pump trucks and the hook and ladder trucks from several different uh, divisions of firefighters descending upon where this uh, building was on fire. And since it was inhabited, it made it even more a danger and more uh, of a necessity to bring the best right there to save and to help and to try and put the fire out. And so as all of the equipments were jostling for positions and the, and the fire hoses were being hooked to uh, the frozen fire hydrants this, this week, but nonetheless hooked up, suddenly a, a woman pushes her way through the crowd, through all of the EMS people, and, and starts screaming out, my daughter, my daughter, she's there on the third floor. She's right there. Can't you see her? She's in that building. Every eye turns and looks up the side of the building. And sure enough, there with a small window that was that little girl's bedroom, slid to the side where smoke was already billowing out as flames were encroaching upon that floor and upon that side of the building. Everybody knew that little girl had to be saved. And so within minutes, that ladder was positioned hydraulically to get right as close as possible to that window. And then the chosen fireman decided to go up. And so if we had watched him, we'd have seen him ascend that ladder in such speed and such dexterity. We'd have thought, surely he, he was just jogging through the neighborhood. But there he went up that ladder with strength and dexterity and ability. He had his focus on saving that little girl. Surely as he reached the top of that ladder where you and I would have been terrified for its movement and the wind blowing and the smoke all over and the flames coming, as it were, to the, to the very room where this little girl was. He was coaching her. He was coaxing her. He was reaching for her. She was confused. She was terrified. And finally, he reached across at the expense of his own safety and grabbed that little girl. He opened his coat and he put her inside there and began to descend on that ladder where she could hear the beating of his heart and, and notice the respiratory of his own lungs as he was trying to breathe through the smoke. 
by the grace of God. He was able to bring her down to the platform. And from there, she was handed over to her sobbing mother. And they all rejoiced at saving that little girl. A great report. Let me ask you just a few questions. Because as we go through Romans chapter 1, you're going to be able to answer these questions thinking maybe about that illustration. Could that child have saved herself? How was her life spared and saved? Whose almost superhuman efforts caused her that kind of salvation? And what did the girl contribute to her being saved? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Now, I know we've got 17 verses here. I'm not going to be able to do an expository on all of that in the time frame we have since we're not going to be able to stay here past 7 o'clock tonight. But the point being, we're going to find great truths in these verses together considering we are a people of faith. Follow as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Almighty God, for calling and setting aside Paul the Apostle. Thank you that your purpose has been accomplished in him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the marvelous truths of the book of Romans. Thank you that we have copies of your word in front of us and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and projected behind us.
Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit knows every one of these words and every heart for whom it's intended. And guide us today as we, as we tenderly look at the beauty of salvation in Jesus Christ and realize that we can be people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the context here in chapter 1 The book is addressed, as we saw in verse 7, that to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And though Paul wrote these words while he was still in Corinth, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit has used since that time in 56, 58 A.D., these 16 chapters, 942 verses, I looked that up, I didn't count them, those chapters and, and those verses to bring many to salvation. Martin Luther claimed it was the study of Romans that brought about his salvation by grace and caused him to post the 95 Theses, which began the great Protestant Reformation. Among others who publicly cited Romans as the key to their understanding of salvation and God's love include John Bunyan John Wesley. In fact, Luther declared that the book of Romans is the greatest book of the New Testament. If you've read it, if you've studied it, you'd agree. Now, though Paul immediately identifies himself as a slave or servant, as you have in the ESV, he's a servant or slave of Jesus Christ. And then he says also in the same breath that he was set apart, which means he was appointed for the gospel of God. Now, somebody with just a cursory look at the scriptures would say, oh, so this is kind of going to be an autobiography of Paul, <laughs> but not so. This book is not about Paul or even the Roman believers and certainly not the Roman Empire. This book is about God and the gospel. Just in these first few verses we've read... The name of God appears nine times, Jesus and the Son eight times, and the Spirit at least once. So whatever else the Spirit will have Paul write in this letter to the Roman believers, he will be writing about God, the Trinity, and his great work in the gospel. Amen? Amen. We see here that Paul said he is called, which is a similar word or synonym would be he was appointed, he was invited same word appears in verses 6 and 7 as well as verse 1. It's an important word. In fact, we'll find it all through Paul's writings, this idea of being called. He also said that he had been set apart. He'd been separated from all others, from all other Pharisees, from all other Jews, from all others that had been in his classes and studied with him, all others who maybe were even persecutors of the saints as he started out. He had been separated and set apart. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. If there was no other verse in all of the Bible that affirmed to us the value of the life of a child, that one, to see how God protected and delivered that man, trained him, brought him up in Tarsus, made him a Roman, Empire, a Roman a citizen, and used him to reach the Roman Empire from stern to stay with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what he came to proclaim. 
You'll find it again in verse 1, verse 9, verse 15, verse 16. Do you see the emphasis here? It's the gospel. So in verse 1, so Paul says, it, I set apart for the gospel of or from God. He doesn't want anybody to be confused about what the gospel is. I read recently about some, I'll, I'll be gentle, money-grubbing pastor someplace in the South. <laughs> That's as gentle as I can get. But he was saying that the gospel is not just uh, what the Bible says, but it's also about everything that has to do uh, with uh, making our, our culture and all of our citizens aware of the suffering of others. A noble cause, but it's not the gospel if you mix it with anything else, right? The gospel of God. That's a title reserved by God himself for what he has proclaimed and what he has prepared and what saves the lost to the uttermost. It's exactly the same thing that Jesus proclaimed in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is hand, repent and believe in the good news, the gospel, the euangelion. There's a, <clears throat> a few things that we should know about the gospel here in Romans chapter 1. Number one, it originated from God himself. It wasn't a copy. Those who... Go gladding about, talking about Confucius and, and such uh, false teachers of, of, of ages past. Act as if those type of thoughts or those philosophies were before the gospel. Well, impossible because God has never known time and in eternity past. This gospel was of God. He originated it. He crafted it. He made it known in the Old Testament to the chosen people. He prophesied of it through every one of the prophets. And now, according to what we're reading here in John chapter 1, it's his gospel. And he wants to use it to save all of the Roman Empire. It was promised before, as we see here in the scripture. So, through the Old Testament prophets and through the scripture itself, this gospel was nurtured and expanded and, and, and prophetically revealed until Jesus Christ himself was manifested and he exemplified and completed God's gospel. Number three, this gospel is concerning the sun. It's not concerning social awareness. Now, social awareness is okay. But it has nothing to do with heifers going to Africa. It's all right if they need heifers in Africa. Some of us probably are going to be needing chickens in their, our yards too. But that's not the gospel just because there's need. <laughs> the gospel has to do with concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's a man in part of this passage. Did you notice that? It talks about him as being in the, the lineage of, of King David. Yeah, he was a man, but he was the God-man. The Holy Spirit himself declared or designated him to be the Son of God, according to the Spirit's own decision. 
and according to the fact that he is the only perfect sacrifice, the only one who died for the sins of all who believe upon him, and buried, resurrecting three days later, nobody holds that pedigree, nobody holds that description, nobody holds that title. This has to do with the one of the Trinity who brings salvation. I want you to, to note here this comparison too. But as God, he has all the power of the Trinity. As he did his earthly ministry, as God, within that human form, that body prepared for him by God, as God, he let that power exhibit itself in certain places for healings. More healings than we ever have record of, according to the last verse of the Gospel of John. But as God, he was the containment of power. He could have called 10,000 angels, is a statement, or legions of angels to take him off the cross, to take him out of that suffering. But as God, he completed through the death of his flesh exactly what the gospel needed, the payment for sin. Also, we think about it here, that it's, a, it's an issue of holiness. He has all the attributes of God through and because of his death and his resurrection. He is holy. He is righteous. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is sovereign. He is all of the attributes of God. And in that, since the gospel is the gospel of God, and Jesus Christ is the one who presents that gospel every day, all day, throughout all of eternity, and every place in this world, then the attributes and the glory of God are his. And it comes through, even when we read this passage. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, Peter's talking here. And he's explaining about how they had a responsibility with the gospel. So Peter says, and he, God, Christ, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, Paul preached the same gospel that Peter and that James and John preached. He preached the very same gospel. Why? Why didn't he elaborate on it? Why didn't he make it more relevant? Why didn't he use just a few skits and things to make it just a little more entertaining? Why did Paul preach the very same gospel that was the gospel of God revealed through Jesus Christ and exemplified and, and brought forth by all of the disciples? Why? Because he wanted to make us a people of faith. Not a people who need entertainment. Not a people who need just a little bit of tickling of our ears. He wanted us to be given the great opportunity to be known as people of faith. Now, that's quite an order. You know yourself better than I know you. And you don't know me very well. And I'm pretty old. You only have very little bit of time to really to get to know me. So let's keep working on it. But you and I understand that from birth we are without hope. 
We're in the build, burning building, but we're on, on the 49th floor and the flames are already scorching our behind. You know what? We're hopeless. We're helpless from the very time that birth had come to us because we are unrighteous. Look in your Bibles to chapter 3, if you would, and re be reminded of some of these marvelous verses here in Romans chapter 3. We'll look at verses 10, 12, 21, 22. So as it is written, says Paul, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Now I'm going to pause there for a minute. I hope that's a revelation to some. Some who have always said, I've, I know, I've, I've, known, I've, you know, I've known God all my life since I was a child. I've had a relationship with God. You know, I know he's up there. But have you ever come to him in faith? But here is this tremendous quote from Isaiah chapter 64. And it says, all have turned aside. All means all. Can you say that with me? All means all. Yeah. All have turned aside, all, and together they have become, what a word, worthless, spiritually. No one does good. No, not even one. You mean Billy Graham was included in that before he was saved? Oh, yeah. Charles Spurgeon was included in that before he was saved? Yes, and it rocked his world until he could know Christ. But now, as we look at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3, Paul goes on, he says, but now, it's like, but God, but now righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness of it. And then notice, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. <laughs> so, those of us who are without hope, in sin, still unrepentant before holy God, still waiting on God to work in our hearts to call us to repentance and faith in Him. That describes us, but it also gives us a wonderful promise here. But God in His righteousness gives us His righteousness. <clears throat> Someone has said that true faith is never seen as passive. It's always obedient. I'm going to repeat that. True faith in the scripture is never seen as passive. True faith is always obedient. For my first point this afternoon, I bring to your attention, we are people of faith when we are made possessors of faith, which begs the point. We're not born with faith in God. We don't cultivate faith in God. We don't come to faith in God just be like we come to be able to read, you know, Jack and Jill went up the hill. This thing of faith is a part of the gospel of God, and that gospel is God's, and he is the one that causes us to possess faith. You think about chapter 5 that we just read here in this uh, first part of the gospel and the work of Romans. You see here in verse 5 where... It says very clearly that first four, he was declared to be the Son of God in power and the Spirit of holiness, and he's Jesus Christ our Lord. And verse 5 says, uh, through whom? Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about 
the obedience of faith. We've received it. We've received it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that you know, and that you Awana kids should be nodding your head to me as I quote this, that it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Later, though Paul was writing in Corinth to the Romans, he also confronted the Corinthians, Corinthians later in their many problems, but he said in chapter 1, verses 2 and 24, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. <clears throat> You've seen called several times here in this passage. Paul was called. He's talking to the, to the Roman believers who were called and, and made saints. This work of God includes the, the dealing of God's Holy Spirit with a rock-dead heart. With a heart that has no knowledge of God, that has no desire to confess sin, that has no way to save itself in the burning building with the flames leaping about. There is where we have God calling. Oh. Our omnipotent, all-powerful God gave Jesus Christ, our Lord, to be our Savior through his power. That word power is dunamis in the Greek. You've heard this before. It means dynamite. <laughs> you know, when they're digging out mines, or I remember when my brothers-in-law in Colorado had to put an outhouse in behind their cabin, they had to use dynamite through that rock. I can tell you it's just fine. It all works great. But the point of it is, you had to have dynamite to get through rock. What's the, what gets through the rock, the dead heart, the dead soul of every sinner, and blows it apart so that God can make new out of it? It's the power of God's Holy Spirit himself showing the sin to the sinner, causing the sin to hate the sin, to love the Savior, to, re to reject all of the evil, and to embrace the beauty of Christ. This is how grace produces obedience to faith that Paul's talking about here. <laughs> Write it down someplace. Memorize it if you would, but all of salvation is all of God. There's nothing else that we can add. There's nothing else that can be added to this scripture. There's nothing else that can be added to the perfect example of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that can be added to the heaven that waits for those who love him. All of salvation, all of God's work is all of God. It's nothing of mine. It's nothing of yours. Not a popular message. Not a popular thought. We're independent um, Americans. We're independent. We choose where we go, when we want to go, and how we want to get there. We decide how long we're going to stay, and we figure out how in the world we'll pay for it later. But this thing of, of being in a position where all of my eternal destiny is not due to me and my efforts and my works and my self-righteousness, but to the righteousness of God. Get over it. 
Embrace the truth. See the loving Christ who welcomes you. Romans 8, you can turn there if you would. You're familiar with the verses 28 and 30. He says, and we know in Romans 8, that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, who he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his, God, uh, of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All of salvation, my friends, is of God. Now, those of you here today, perhaps, or watching, I just want to caution you. It's a lie of Satan or a lie of your flesh to say, yeah, you know, somehow I'd have to get a whole lot more faith before I could be saved. Or maybe you've had the experience of talking to one of your co-workers and urging them to trust Christ as Savior, and they laugh and pull back and say, I guess I can't be saved because I certainly can't live the Christian life. I'd have to give up. Or some that would say, well, as soon as I clean up my life, get rid of a few old habits, get my mind in gear, then I'll let God save my soul. These are lies of Satan. There are encyclopedias of the lies of Satan. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, we're not ignorant of him and his devices. He is the father of lies. Why would anyone want to let someone who is aching to pull him into hell, aching to destroy his life as it is now on earth and throughout of eternity, let him who is the... Uh, angel that fallen and dis discarded from heaven tell you how to think when the gospel of Jesus Christ is there to be given to you for your salvation. Romans chapter 10 again, look at verse 8 through 13. It says the word, the word of God, the word of the gospel is near you in your mouth and in your heart. <clears throat> that is, here's that word again. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a great promise. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I invite you today who are without faith in Jesus Christ. Who have fallen prey to the lies of Satan. Who have built a, a, a house on the sand of your own good works or your own in good intentions. Or the way you feel about yourself. I invite you today to see that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the day of your salvation. Paul was writing to the church in Colossians. He said in chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, and he says, You, I could see Paul's bony finger, you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, the God of, the God of salvation, he, 
has now reconciled you in his body by the flesh, uh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And Paul was certain that God's word itself was always sufficient to provide or produce true saving faith in the hardest unbelieving heart. And so he could point out to these Colossians and to their great joy that God in all of his work and salvation, was prepared to make them a new creation. Secondly, today, we are a people of faith when we are made to persevere in faith. Look with me again back to chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Here Paul says very clearly, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some, har- some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What are we seeing in these verses? We're talking about the perseverance of the saints. Now, I was not homeschooled, so I had to look this, this word up. And so, persevere. It means to continue in a course of action. To persist. To keep going. And here's one of the synonyms for John Gress. Hammer away. That's in the dictionary, John, so it's okay. Each believer is strengthened in his or her faith by the encouragement of the saints in the church. Because just like Paul, the saints pray for each other. We have a prayer meeting here on Wednesday night. Just like Paul, the saints pray for each other. And when Paul was writing the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he said, I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, because you are all partakers with me with grace. We can persevere in the faith because the believers around us are all in the same boat, partakers of grace through Jesus Christ. Now, I know next, next week there's a, a, a ballot going out and, and different positions and titles. It doesn't matter. Right here in my forehead, grace. And I have a very large forehead. But grace, I can see it on Jeff's. It says grace, Jeff. I can see it. There's no difference. We're all partakers of his grace. In verses 22, or 25 and 27 of the same chapter, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy. Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, I thought about that verse a lot this week. So that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. That's what believers do. 
They stand side by side. They have one heart. They have one mind. They're all persevering. We're all aiming towards that great day when Christ calls us unto himself. And we persevere. Right here in the local church. Right in your own home. Uh, here's a truth, truth moment. True believers will experience troubles in their life. I know, I know, you never thought about that, never knew that. But Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You'll have challenges, you'll have troubles, maybe even right now. Now, if, if in fact, you don't have troubles or challenges right now, tomorrow's Monday, you know what Mondays are. <laughs> but beyond that, don't lie to yourself. Give you a little clue here where I found some comfort this week was meditating in all of Psalm 31. Psalm 31, but I'm going to quote just five, five verses here. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord. Faithful God. I chewed on that while I was working. Woke up in the middle of the night, some night. I don't know if it was me or my wife snoring, but I woke up and I thought about this. Faithful God. David says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. And boy, do we have a lot of worthless idols in our culture. But he says, I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you've seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. Oh, dear Christian friend, in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of the finances, in the midst of the illnesses, in the midst of the disappointments, in the midst of the children that have gone astray, in the midst of all the things, the, the, the great panorama of heartbreaks that we experience in this flesh, Look and see that we can persevere in faith. What a privilege. What a joy. Thirdly, in this passage, we see that we are people of faith when we are made to profess our faith. Verse 8 is, is a great verse here. And we've touched on it a little bit. And it says grace, to, or rather it says first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because... Your faith is proclaimed throughout all the world. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Your faith, Roman believers, is proclaimed throughout all the world. <laughs> who's, who's talking about your faith, Christian? Have, has it ever occurred to you that there are people around the world <clears throat> that talk about your faith? <laughs> How could that be? Well, the individuals that the Lord has used... You to bring the gospel to, whether they were saved in your presence or days or months or years later and are saved. And they look back and say, I remember that teacher. I remember that Awana worker. I remember that deacon. I remember that brother who sought me out and took me to lunch and told me the gospel and prayed with me at that table. And I was born again. We don't even know what they're talking about us. I also think there are missionaries and we're looking forward to the time God brings us missionaries here. Amen. There are missionaries that we've supported in the past and will support in the future, God willing, who will say, I'm here because the people back at Redemption Bible Church in the little town of Belleville sent me, and their faith is great, and they're with me here proclaiming the gospel, though you don't know them. 
their sweet people. So why are people talking about these folks? Well, Rome was the capital, I mean, of everything. There was every nationality, every type, every uh, kind of pagan, every kind of Jew or Greek. There were even barbarians, Paul said. I didn't know my relatives were in Rome back then, but many of them may have been. But he's talking about all of these people that were there in Rome. We can take that a little bit closer and realize that America, in all of its sin, its depravity, its wokeness, God's people are still providing more Bibles, more correspondence courses, more Christian radios, more resources than any other country in the modern world. And people are talking about our faith. Yeah, there were 300 and some little boxes with toys and gifts and, and, and gospel tracts and, and wonderful things sent and prayed over. And even now those boxes are still going forward and those lessons are still being taught and children are hearing of the gospel of God through Jesus Christ. And mom and dad are looking and saying, what is that about? And missionaries are coming in and they're saying, let me tell you about the gospel of God. And people are talking about your faith and sending Little toys and gospel tracts. Kevin DeYoung recently wrote, the only way to keep biblical faith hidden is if we agree to hide it. Paul uses this phrase, and I do it advisedly, but when he says here, <laughs> you know, uh, I swear to, to my God about this, but may this church never agree to hide the gospel May we not hide it in programs. May we not hide it in fussing. May we not hide it in laziness or feeling good about ourselves. But may we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because we need to profess it. <laughs> you know, Paul started out this letter by confirming that he was set apart for the gospel. And I say, if God assigns you, you are not ashamed. Isn't it interesting that, interesting that the last teaching of Jesus Christ before he ascended back to heaven is that you are to go forth and make disciples. You are to preach the gospel. Jeru Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the world. You've been assigned. I've been assigned. You're not excluded because you're old, feeble, blind, deaf, rich, poor. You've been assigned and you're not ashamed. Paul does not say this just uh, to be cute, for he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. A Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, dis discredited and abandoned by all of his family and all of his friends. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I cling to the gospel. I preach the gospel because it is the power, the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Again, in verse 13, he said he, he, he wanted to be among the Romans. He didn't know him. He didn't plant that church. Peter didn't plant that church. There were faithful people after the day of Pentecost who had been in Jerusalem, heard in their own language the great message that Peter preached, went back eventually to Rome and took the gospel with them. And Paul says, I am so desirous to meet you people and see what God is doing. But he says, I want to reap a harvest among you and among the other Gentiles. 
How do you suppose he would reap? Because he, he knew that these people were sowing. These people in Rome were sharing the gospel. I think it was probably pretty hard to write out the gospel on a, one of those clay tablet things, don't you think, Garrett? And pass it around. We just have these wonderful gospel tracts. But they were sharing the gospel, and now Paul wanted to come in and say, I want to preach. I want to see these people believing in Christ. I want to be there when you baptize them. I want to be a part of their discipleship. I want to hold up the word of God to them and show them the power of God and what he's doing. Verse 14, Paul says, he was obligated. That means he owed a debt to give the gospel. These are pretty heavy things to lay on comfortable American Christians. Maybe we oughtn't to study Romans. Maybe there's something nicer we can study. Or maybe we can just embrace it. To whom are you and I in debt to share the gospel? I mean, that's how we, we profess our faith. Our friends, family, neighbors, classmates, acquaintances. How about this? Go home today, take a clean piece of paper, and write their names. If you can't think of anybody, stop what you're doing and pray, and ask God to clear your mind and give you an understanding of those whose names need to be on that prayer list. And then every day, every day for the next month, pray for those people. Pray for them to be blessed. Pray for them to be well. Pray for them to have an open heart to the gospel of Christ. Pray that the Lord will be merciful as he deals with them through the Holy Spirit to make that rock-hard stone that is dead and hopeless into a living heart that worships him. Be accountable. Share your list with your spouse. Share your list with your son or your daughter. Share your list with those on Wednesday night. And pray for this one and pray for that one. And then make a plan. Maybe it'll just be taking someone to lunch and saying, have I ever told you what, what the Lord did for me? Or maybe the plan will be, I'm just going to mail them a, a letter because they're out of state. and Just tell them what the gospel is. Or maybe the plan will be, I'm just going to put a tract in their hand and say, would you read this and let's talk about it in a few days. I don't know. Make a plan. You know what? God's got a plan. All you need to do is obey it. <laughs> and then finally, go and do Romans 10, if you want to turn there, verses 13 through 17 as we conclude. Romans 10, 13, it says, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. What promises, what glorious promises in this book. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? <laughs> How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to preach unless they are how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how we profess our faith. We take the word of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, and we just share it. Those who are called saints through the gospel of Jesus Christ are responsible to take this gospel to those who have not believed at this point, who haven't heard. Are you a person of faith because you obey the Lord's call on your life to tell the gospel to the unbelievers around you?
I mean genuine faith. Are we a people of faith? Have we been made to possess the faith? And know the call of God in our own hearts. We come to a communion table today. If you've never professed faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never stepped out of the dead dying carcass. Of your own failing works. And embraced the beautiful resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Through faith in his salvation. You don't possess what we're going to celebrate. But you can, even now. You can seek one of, one of us out today, and we would be so happy to meet with you in a back room, open the word of God, pray with you, see what God's doing in your heart for salvation. Are we a people of faith persevering? Now, some of us gotten discouraged and said, it's too hard. It's no use. This country's lost. We can't be a Christian in this country, and so we won't even try. Or have we embraced the faith and the holiness of God and persevered in it? And finally, are we willing to be people of faith by professing and telling what Jesus Christ has done for us? Hmm. A people of faith. May we all be. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that the words of Scripture today, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing and dividing asunder, are there for us to hear, to embrace, to rejoice in, to obey. I call out to you, God, as you know the hearts of those who are here, as you see a cold, dead stone, a heart that has rejected the truth of Jesus Christ to this moment, I beg of you, God, to call this person, that man, that woman, that teen, to yourself. Oh, God, give them the, the faith that they might possess it and believe in the salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I, I thank you that you will give us the strength we need through the presence of the Holy Spirit to persevere and to profess the truth of Jesus Christ and to walk steadfast by faith. May we be seen as a people of faith even this day. In Jesus' name, amen.